Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Uh, Noel T. Manning, the second year, hanging out with uh, Thomas Manning. And uh, you, you may realize we're not in the studio. We're not, well, actually, we, we've got our home studios, which is what we've been uh, doing some things from for, for quite a while. We're going to be back in the C-19 studio at some point. We're not sure when. Uh, I, I think Tim's been on, like, extended hiatus, uh, but Tim's going to be uh, bringing us back, uh, we hope. Uh, but But for this week... Uh, I am in an undisclosed coastal location. So, Thomas, it's it's part of the uh, what, did, what did you say? The before we end on the air, it's it's there's a reason for that. I mean, this is part of your task for the Impossible Mission Force, and exactly. you know, if you fail at your mission, then you will be disavowed, <laughs> and we just really can't speak about it any further than that. <laughs> exactly. All right, but but there may be some wardrobe changes. So just like in the Mission Impossible films, there's multiple locations. We're gonna, we may not be going to multiple locations, or we might. <laughs> Who knows? We'll just have to see what the budget is uh, for this before we uh, before we wrap it up. But we do want to talk about the newest uh, Mission Impossible film. Tom is a Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, it's a film we've been waiting for uh, for quite a while. Uh, in, in January 2019, Cruise uh, had announced. Tom Cruise had announced that the seventh and eighth. Uh, in this franchise that started back in 1996 would be shooting back-to-back with uh, Christopher McQuarrie uh, writing and directing both films. But a few things happened uh, along the way, and we didn't get this film quite as early as we'd liked, but uh, let me get you to dive in a little bit with any thoughts you have uh, ready to the background of it, or if you want to go ahead and dive into the review, you can do that as well. Yeah, I think it's important just to look at the history of the franchise as a whole. It started back in 1996 uh, with Brian De Palma's first film in the franchise, and that was actually Tom Cruise's first movie that he produced, and that kicked off his you know production company. Uh, and Brian from Brian De Palma, then you go there. The next film was directed by John Woo, who is an entirely different style of filmmaker than De Palma, and then you go. <laughs> From John Woo to J.J. Abrams in Abrams' directorial debut as a feature filmmaker. Uh, And then Brad Bird comes in in 2011 with Ghost Protocol. And that was Brad Bird's first live-action film. He'd done incredible work in animation, uh, obviously The Incredibles. Uh, But I think when Ghost Protocol came in is when the franchise really kind of struck the tone, the perfect balance of tones that it was looking for. Um, and Christopher McQuarrie also worked a little bit on Ghost Protocol, and McQuarrie has since directed uh, the past three Mission Impossible films uh, with Rogue Nation in 2015, Fallout in 2018, and now Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Part 2, which is coming soon. And, uh, you know, McQuarrie and Cruz, I just think they are they're the perfect couple they're a match made in heaven and (laughs) and um i think what what i love about macquarie as a storyteller is that he likes to make things as difficult as possible for the characters in his stories and for his protagonists he likes to give them the most you know seemingly impossible decisions to make most impossible problems to solve and for Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise takes that and runs with it, and runs with it quite literally. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes takes it and jumps off a cliff with a motorcycle and parachutes. Uh, sometimes takes it and hangs off of a train uh, fighting Isai Morales. So it's, 
I just love these movies so so much. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's interesting when when we've had so many of these films, and uh, to me, there are certain franchise films that seem to become on autopilot after a while. And I've never felt that with this one. I felt in some way this franchise has found ways to continue to be relevant, continue to be fresh, and in some ways uh, they, they've continued to take it up a notch. I, I, I think I've uh, appreciated each one um, even better in certain ways. I, I remember going back to, to the first one in 96, and I really wasn't a, a huge fan. I, I, I loved De Palma and, and loved his creativity, but I just wasn't, there was something about that particular film that didn't really click with me. And then when Mission Impossible 2 came out, I said, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I, I, I love the Mission Impossible series, the TV series, and uh, several versions of that series, by the way. Um, but it, it found a way to just continue to bring me in, and, and it's done that. And, and a big part of that is, is Tom Cruise, and because he knows what he's going for, and he's willing to to put his money on the line uh, and his life on the line <laughs> to make it happen. Uh, you had mentioned J.J. Abrams, um, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 is the first uh, film since Part 2 that does not have Abrams attached in some way. And um, I, I, honestly, I, you know, he, he had stepped back from the director's chair and served as kind of a producer. And uh, we're, we're not missing a beat with Dead Reckoning Part 1. If you're looking for, for action, if you're looking for... Cruz doing what Cruz does best and uh, in, in doing his own stunts. Uh, Cruz, Tom Cruise is a movie star. Um, all the way, 100% a movie star. And he brings people into theaters. And we, we saw that he did that with, with a legacy Top Gun Maverick last year uh, and uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, expensive movie, uh, estimated budget. I think two hundred ninety million is kind of what we're looking at with this. Um, the most expensive in the franchise. A lot of locations on this film. Uh, there were a lot of hiccups uh, in the filming of this, including uh, casting challenges uh, and and of course COVID really put a uh, you know put a speed bump uh, on this film. Thomas uh, was a, originally scheduled to shoot uh, in um, what. February 2019, uh, they they you know had a kind of a planned release date I think of this uh, in 21 and uh, part two and 22. Of course that didn't happen. Uh, COVID really challenged some things for that as well as some other things as well. But man, the behind the scenes if you want to look at uh, the chaos behind the scenes and and making this film come to life, there's a lot of it. And sometimes when that happens, that can impact what we. Sp- seeing that final cut but man I, I i just walked out of this movie just smiling and going man i can't wait to see it again and that was what i had hoped to fill with indiana jones in the dial of destiny and that did not deliver but this one did and then some yeah and you talk about just how many things that they had to overcome in this production and I think making a Mission Impossible movie is pretty much comparable to actually the missions that Tom Cruise or that uh, Ethan Hunt undertakes. Yes. Ethan Hunt and the Impossible Mission Force, uh, because nothing goes to plan. You're always going to have to improvise. You're always going to have to find yourself working with resources that maybe aren't the best resources for the task at hand, but 
because this is like the best team of filmmakers in the world, they find a way to do it with whatever they have. And there's this basically this mantra that Ethan repeats in the film is, we'll figure it out or I'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And it's just like that's and he truly believes that. And um, I think they all truly believe that uh, the whole production crew um, takes that to heart and they do figure it out no matter what comes in their way they find a way to you know maneuver through it and um there's also something else i want to talk about i guess regarding the story and how relevant uh the plot is uh one of the main themes of the film is the you know permeation of artificial intelligence in our culture in our society and that like you said this was written and filmed three to four years ago um but really just within the past six months we've seen AI become a huge talking point uh, in our current culture, and uh, that AI is one of the the main um, one of the main foundations of the WGA strike that's going on right now, and um, it's going to be something that's going to affect politics in the years coming forward and just affect everyday life. Uh, but so this this film was really uh, really prescient in a way um, with the story that kind of predicted conversations that we'll be having at this exact moment when it released. Yeah, that blew me away as well, because um, throughout the history, especially history of of science fiction, and then you go into uh, espionage action films as well, uh, AI has, has, has been there. I mean, you think about the Terminator films and uh, you know, artificial intelligence taking over there. there There's so many of them throughout the history um, of, of cinema and, uh, and literature uh, as well. But this one feels almost as if it were written yesterday and uh, it, because it is so, um, so relevant into to what, we're, what we're thinking and what we're talking about. Uh, I, the, the story is what it is, and, and you, you're, you're right, uh, artificial intelligence... You could almost say that the, that the AI, um, which is called the entity uh, in this particular uh, film, uh, is the true protagonist. Um, now, while there there are um, you know you do have some that are kind of um, pledging allegiance to the entity, and, and we're having to uh, Ethan's having to face face off with them. It really is the entity that uh, is in control of things. Uh, and uh, I, I, that was really an interesting take on this. Yeah, and then there's this idea of this entity basically bonding with the main human antagonist in this film, um, the, Esai, the character played by Isai Morales, who is someone from Ethan's past who's caused him a great deal of pain and someone who basically set Ethan on the path um, that started his IMF journey. And uh, so I thought that was a really interesting take to kind of explore that, that uh, the merging between humanity and AI. And um, that was just, that was, it was really, really a creepy way to, you know, examine a villain and examine yeah. what we are approaching toward as, you know, as a species. Um, and obviously I hope it doesn't get to the point that uh, we're seeing reflected in this movie. But uh, I mean, I do think we should take, uh, we should take warning and look at the things that are happening in this movie, because yeah. if we're not careful, um, stuff like this, or at least stuff comparable to this could happen. Yeah. And, and on the lower end of things, I mean, the, 
when you think about it, we rely on AI in some form or fashion every day if we're connected to technology. I mean, you look at your your mobile devices, your your you know, whether it's an iPhone or a, a Samsung or whatever it is you may may have. A, a, you rely on forms of AI all the time. And when you ask Siri questions, I mean, that's, you know, there's not a, an actual human over there named Siri that's, you know, somewhere, um, you know, connected to you online. It's artificial intelligence. So we are connected to it and we are utilizing it. We're utilizing it for our good. But um, I think the question that, that comes out of this or one of the questions that comes out of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is, you know, what is, uh, what is our good? Uh, and and who uh, should be in control of our good? If it's humans, humans have their own agenda, and you see that playing out uh, throughout all the world's forces, uh, wanting to find a way to control this AI uh, that looks to be almost uncontrollable. Yeah, but uh, of course we know Ethan Hunt. He's always going to try to do whatever he can to adapt to the situation. And, um, you know, he he does his very best, but um, this does, this is part one of part two, so his battle with AI is not complete yet. Uh, but uh, you and I both talked about this, even though this was, uh, you know, one half of a larger story, it still did a really good job tying up the general arc of this part of the story. Um, where, whereas something like, Fast, Fast and Furious X, or Fast, Fast X, however you want to title that film, yeah. that was the literal definition of a cliffhanger. Right. And uh, then even uh, Across the Spider Verse, which you and I both loved, uh, that was still pretty much just that, just ended and just mm-hmm. left you with so many questions. But this it um, it show, gives you a good idea of where the characters are in this moment and where they are with this conflict. But it, it's a good resting point. And you know that there is more to the story, right. but right now we're satisfied with what we got. So I thought of all the part ones of part twos that we've had over the past year, um, I think this is one of the most uh, emotionally satisfying. I agree. I agree. I, I, I came out going, I felt like I saw something that, sure, there, there's more story to tell, but I felt like this chapter uh, or, or this, you know, this, this half was was complete in itself. Uh, I didn't feel like, wow, what the heck? You know, what if I die within the you know the next you know year or so before I get a chance to see the next one? I didn't feel that way. Like like I did whenever um, I still get angry when I think about Back to the Future Part Two when I saw it in theaters because it literally left me hanging. Uh, still makes me mad. Uh, I, I still get steamed about that. Um, but you know, now that I've had a chance to watch them. Altogether, it's okay. But at that moment, man, I was not a happy camper. Um, I want to mention, let me get it out. I want to mention, uh, if you like the idea of kind of AI and um, you know, how AI can, can really expand and looking at how in a humanity connect and can work together or uh, work against each other, uh, there's a TV series on Peacock called Mrs. Davis. And uh, it is well worth checking out if you are uh, into that kind of stuff. Um, really impressed with, with what they've uh, done and have been doing with this. It was launched uh, back on in, in April um, of 2023, but Miss Davis on 
uh, Peacock. It's a, a sci-fi comedy drama, and it asks a lot of really interesting questions, much like this film, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Thomas, I love the action. Uh, I loved um, what Tom Cruise continues to bring to this. Uh, I loved the uh, returning cast. I uh, also loved uh, adding um, you know, Agent Carter uh, to the mix uh, as well. Uh, it was really great to see her. And uh, she is a um, wonderful supporting uh, acting talent, but her character, I loved her char- character so much as well uh, in this. Uh, it's a film, physical stunts, uh, big-time explosions, uh, all that you would expect in a... Mission Impossible film is there, and and every mark hits perfectly for me. Yeah, and like the versatility of the action set pieces, um, no surprise that there's there's a wide range. Uh, we start out basically the opening scene of the film was in a submarine, and then about 15 minutes later, yeah. we're in the Abu Dhabi desert with this with this crazy shootout in a sandstorm, uh, and then. Shortly thereafter, we were on the streets of Rome in this uh, car chase filled with hijinks, uh, perhaps uh, <laughs> handcuffs on a steering wheel, something along those lines. Uh, and then, then we have some saber duels, uh, not lightsaber duels. Uh, that would be really cool if they were lightsabers, but they're, they're regular sabers, which are still pretty awesome. Uh, and then, of course, the, the big set piece, well, two big set pieces in the last uh, 30 minutes that's leading up to the cliff jump. Uh, that's been touted as like the biggest stunt in cinematic history. It is definitely probably one of the best I've ever seen. Um, and that delivers, even though we'd seen it in the trailers, even though we had an idea of what it was going to be, seeing it within the emotional context of the story in the film, um, it was, it really did quite literally take my breath away, especially when the sound drops out, when yes. it happens. It's basically 10 seconds of silence, which was an incredible uh, you know, sound design choice. Um, and then that's followed by uh, the train sequence, which was even wilder and uh, just more, you know, white knuckle than I thought it was going to be. And uh, yeah, I, I was literally just kind of hovering the entire time I was watching it. I felt like I was hovering for another couple hours afterwards. And I, I just, this is one that I can't wait to watch again and again and again. So yeah, you had mentioned the, um, the big, the big stunt, the one that we've been hearing about for so long and we've, seen it in the trailers uh, or seen aspects of it so in the film when we see him on uh, the the motorcycle um, and we know it's coming it, it's it's one of those moments that even though you know it's coming and, and you're just waiting you still I, I still found myself just in awe of what I saw on the big screen and we what we were watching on a big screen for sure uh, on this film, and you talk about the the whole railroad um, fight scenes and the explosions that get, kind of go along with that. There's a lot of interesting backstory on uh, on making that happen. And so, when you get a chance to see the kind of making of, or if you want to go and read some of the behind the scenes, you, you'll find that pretty fascinating. How they were able to kind of make that happen, and, and some of the challenges uh, they they ran into. Uh, they did end up using um, part of the, uh, uh, there was a, um, a train track that was used in uh, an opening sequence of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, that also has connections to this particular 
film uh, as well. But man, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, as soon as I walked out, I, I, I was reminded that yeah, this is why I love going to films in the summer. I'm I'm looking for those emotional connections that uh, almost take me back to my childhood that will allow me to escape, uh, enjoy some popcorn, uh, enjoy the story, enjoy what's happening on screen, the action, the adventure, and the energy. And all of that was there tenfold for me for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah, and this had been a movie uh, that uh, we were talking about this on the drive to the theater how back at the beginning of 2022, uh, it was like a New Year's Day, there was a Twitter prompt that was going around, what's your most anticipated of the year? And I was like, without a doubt, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. And ended up having to wait another 18 months uh, due to various delays, <laughs> various um, you know COVID-related things. Uh, finally here, and uh, I, I can definitely say it was worth the wait, uh, worth, worth every second that I had to wait for it. And... Um, yeah, I'm just glad glad it's finally here. Absolutely. Uh, it is something that we will revisit uh, again and again and again. And uh, it is a franchise that has continued to find ways to uh, create success, create energy, uh, and create audience anticipation with every film. And I, you know, I think back to some of the other franchises. You talked past X earlier. You know, I'll go check it out, but I don't get incredibly excited about what's next. Uh, And honestly, I've already forgotten the one that was just released, uh, you know, a couple months ago. I've forgotten it. And that's not good. (laughs) It's not good. But uh, but with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning uh, Part 1, it it is, there are a lot of unforgettable moments for me in this. Absolutely. And uh, I think... I'm going to give Dead Reckoning a solid A, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that eventually goes up to an A-plus after another watch or two. I'm with you. Solid A rating for uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Watch it in the uh, on the biggest screen with the biggest sound that you possibly can.